Acts 13, 42 to 52. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict uh, what was spoken to Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout woman of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet and against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. All right, well read. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to be in that passage for a little bit now. And so while we approach this message, let me, let me get us ready for it if I could, okay? I have to believe that you want the message that you're about to hear to make an impact in your life. I mean, honestly, it would really be a terrible thing to go to church without that anticipation, without that expectation, without that hope. So if the message is going to make an impact in your life, and honestly, friends, it doesn't really matter who's preaching, be it Alistair Begg, Chuck Swindoll, Matt Chandler, it's always going to be the same. When God speaks through his word and puts his finger on your heart or on something in your life. And he says, that is pleasing to me. Then your heart and my heart should respond in praise because it's God's grace that made that possible. And if he puts his finger on your heart or some area of your life during the sermon and during the message and you get this conviction... Because something is not right in your life. Now you've got a decision to make. Will that word get to your heart? Listen, it can get here in your mind for information. But if it's going to be transformative, if it's going to change you, it's got to get to your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, the Bible says, for from it flows the issues of life. So if it's going to transform you, if it's going to transform me, it's got to get to your heart. How does it get to your heart? Well, if God puts his finger on some area of your life and says, that's not pleasing to me, then now you've got to respond by faith. You see, it's by faith. If the word of God is going to change you, you must approach it by faith. You must trust it. You must believe that the word of God is an authority over you. It's the highest authority, way, way higher than Pastor Matthew, way, way higher than Pastor Tim, way, way higher than any other preacher or pastor or elder in the church. 
It's the Word of God. It is living and active. And if it's going to work in your life to change you, you must believe it. And you must obey it by faith. So, Lord, I believe it, your prayer is. I know you're putting a fing your finger on my life. I know you're exposing something that you want to bring your blessings of change into. And so I need to believe. I need to have faith. And what does faith do? It responds in obedience. That's how a sermon can be impactful for you. And even if I preach kind of a boring dud of a sermon, it still can be impactful for you if the sermon is explaining and pointing to the, the Word of God. So let's see what God's going to do in your life and in my life, and let's respond by faith. Let me introduce to you John Patton. John Patton was a missionary who took the good news of Jesus Christ to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Seas, which is inhabited by pagan cannibals. John Patton took the gospel to these islands. And while he was preparing, he's in England, and he's in a very, or Scotland actually, he's in a very successful ministry. He was working with young people, and they were responding, and they loved John Patton, and God called him out of that fruitful, successful, enjoyable ministry to go to an island of pagan cannibals. And while he was preparing for it, one of the elderly critics told him, you should not go. You will be eaten by cannibals. Here's what John Patton said to that elderly man. I'm going to quote him. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. You see, John Patton, are you listening to this? This is actually very important. This will help you with the message. John Patton felt himself immortal until God saw fit for his work to be done. Come on, you got to get that down into your heart by faith. Do you believe that? Within a year after arriving on the dangerous island of Tana, his wife and his 14-month little boy died. Patton himself was attacked 14 times by the natives, but he cited what scripture he, he kept repeating to himself that endured him through it. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, is the promise of Jesus. Tension was escalating on the island. There was a missionary on the other side of the island as well. Together they left the island in 1862. But four years later, he returned to the adjacent nearby island of Anawa, where he soon led the tribal chief to faith in Jesus. There was no response no people that came to know the Lord through on the island of Tana. But now he's on Anawa, 
And in 15 years, the entire island of natives turned to Jesus Christ in faith. And Patton would say, and I quote him, I claimed Anawa for Jesus, and by the grace of God, Anawa now worships at the Savior's feet. This is a true story, friends. You have one island that completely rejected the gospel, and you've got another island that completely accepted it. And we're about to see in the passage that we're going to be looking at that some people will accept the gospel when you share the good news of Jesus with them, and there are others that will reject the gospel. In fact, all of the book of Acts is shouting to us, share the gospel with the unsaved around you. But we need to ask ourselves a question, and this is really, really important before we look at the three points that I have for you. I had an interesting conversation with our staff this last week, and we were talking about this sermon series, and there's a lot of, a lot of really neat things happening. I just talked to somebody today that is now in charge of the training for his company, and every time he begins one more, the next training session, he begins by selling, telling them, here's who I am. The most important thing to me is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and my wife and my children. Every training session. We've got people that are starting Bible studies in their developments. We have people that are writing letters to their unsaved former teachers in high school. We have a lot of people that are learning that it's their job, it's my job, it's all every Christian's job to witness of Jesus Christ. It's not just the pastor's job, it's all of ours job. And people are doing it, but then we talked about it in the staff meeting and we began to really think through why are all of us doing this? Now let me just pose you a very gentle question. This is not meant to provoke anything but just introspection. Since we've been in this Acts series, this is now part 35, are you beginning to share the gospel with the unsaved all around you? Now, you be honest with that. You don't need to raise your hand. This is just between you and the Lord. And if you're not doing that, I want to ask you, why? It is your only mission. It's your only mission that Jesus has given to you. And I want you to ask yourself, if you would, and I've got to ask myself the same question. I know what I am to do, but am I a faithful witness to Jesus? More than just trying to live in a way that shows people Jesus, am I speaking to the unsaved about Jesus? Now, you have to answer that, and I have to answer that, and my goodness, how can I be so brazen to ask you to answer that? It's because you're going to answer to Jesus one day when he looks at and examines your life. We all know that, right? Just as Patton, John Patton, had to obey God's call on his life, friends, we must do the same. For it is not a matter of can I share the gospel effectively, but will I be a faithful witness? Now, the staff said something very interesting to me, and I think they're right. We all know what our mission is. I mean, I don't know of a Christian that is 
that is confused on that. We all know it. What's keeping us is that we don't think we can do it adequately. We don't know how. And here's what I'm going to tell you. You do not need a class at the church how to share your faith. You need to trust the Spirit of God who can help you do it. Now, we're going to see that. You ready? We're going to see the response of the sermon that we looked at two weeks ago that Paul preached. And I want you to see the three different responses. Number one, there was a great interest in the gospel. Let's look again at verse 42. As they went out, Paul and Barnabas, they're going out of the synagogue. He just preached, Paul did. As they go out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Now, you remember the Jewish Sabbath is a Saturday. So in another week, they're saying, will you please come back and teach us again? And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. So there's a lot of Jews. Now, I want you to hear something. There's a lot of devout converts to Judaism. Those were Gentiles that had come into the Jewish religion through circumcision and through baptism, but they are not believers. They're just religious people. And I've met people who have come to this church after being in a church where the word of God was not being preached and they're like dry sponges soaking up the water because that's what we preach is the word of God. It is the living water. Christ-centered worship, which is what you hear when you come here. Gospel-centered preaching. Listen, it stirs up your soul. It awakens something in us. Which is what happened in this congregation when Paul is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the service is now over. Paul and Barnabas, they're going out the door. People are following them almost as if they're going out to the sidewalk, even though they didn't have sidewalks. And people are pleading with them. They're discussing with them, wait, don't leave yet. Can we, we want to talk about what you preach. Would you come back next week? We want to hear more about the good news of Jesus. These are dry hearts that have been cracking from a famine of the word of God. They've been steeped in religiosity, but they haven't been shown the grace of Christ. See, they're mired in a dead religion their entire lives. And friends, I just want to say something with a wild assumption. There are people all around you the same way. They are mired in dead religion. And Paul's message was the gospel of life. And friends, Christian brother and sister, your message is the gospel of life. And as we go through this sermon, you're going to see why this can be so powerful. We've got the two of them, Paul and Barnabas. They're encouraging the group, look what it says, to seek the grace of God. And we wonder, did these people get saved from Paul's message? You really can't know. Nobody really knows. Were these people saved? And in fact, how can you know if anybody is saved? Listen, unless they continue in the grace of God. You know, I prayed a sinner's prayer when I was four. My mom, I was on, the, on her bed, my mom and dad's bed. My mom led me to the Lord. 
But it wasn't until 20 years later that I really realized that that really was not the moment of my salvation. That was part of what began to draw me to Christ. The moment of my salvation was in sixth grade when the Spirit of God just came into me and produced in me all of his own accord just an insatiable desire to pray and to study God's word. I'm in fifth grade. This is happening to me. So you can pray the sinner's prayer. I've had parents go, oh, I am so thankful my child prayed the sinner's prayer when they were young. They're out in the world. They're doing drugs. They're pursuing a, an immoral life. But the parents feel good because their child prayed a sinner's prayer. Please listen. That's not the way of salvation. How do you know somebody is saved? How do you know Christ lives in them? There will be evidence. They will continue in the grace of God. And this is what Paul says. He urges them. Verse 43, continue in the grace of God. Paul can't see into their hearts any better than I can see into your hearts. The evidence of, of true salvation is continuing in the grace of God. That's the evidence. A person is surely saved who continues in the grace of God, not coming down to the front during an altar call. We all know while somebody can get saved in that moment, often they're not. Continuing in the grace of God. So a week goes by, look at verse 44, the next Sabbath, Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, there's 50,000 people in the city of Antioch, according to experts. So it's impossible for 50,000 people to literally gather at this synagogue. Their biggest stadium in the city could hold 6,000 people. So this is not, this is hyperbole. Luke is using hyperbole. In other words, it's intentional exaggeration to get across a point. There was a major reaction in the city. There was an overwhelming response from the people in the city. Now imagine Paul and Barnabas. So many people are now coming to this synagogue, and undoubtedly Paul and Barnabas had been talking throughout the city all week. And word of mouth had spread, and people came to hear their message of Jesus Christ. Now, why was the whole city stirred? Why, did, why was there such an overwhelming response? He's preached one sermon, and it was all about the grace of God and salvation. It was all about Jesus being the means of salvation. And it, it was all about an invitation to respond in faith. So how did that stir up the whole city? Well, let me try and explain. And friends, as I explain this to you, this needs to give you boldness to witness of Jesus Christ because it's just as true today as it was true then. Every single person that you will ever meet has been created by God. Now listen, by God, for God, to enjoy a relationship with him. Let me give you an anecdote. I once had a wife say of her husband she told this to me she says you know what my husband was made to be married he was made to be married you know what she meant by that he loves being a husband and as i got to know them that was you couldn't possibly find truer words than that this man just reveled in being 
the husband to this woman. He was made for it. Well, every person was made to experience life. But here is what we need to know. There is a magnetic pull deep, deep, deep in the soul of everybody. It's an unnamed desire that you just cannot fulfill without a relationship with God. That's in every single person. Now listen, just start out right now. Even if you don't see it, would you just suspend your disbelief for a moment and assume that it is true? Just bear with me. That pull, that deep, deep pull in the soul, you can resist it. You can misplace it by pursuing what this world offers, but that pull is there, and it's in every single person god made every person to only be complete when they are in a relationship with him if you go away from god if you will not be in a relationship with him there is a soul deep ache there it's unavoidable and if you really want happiness, and this is what I tell people when I witness, if you really want contentment, if you really want a satisfied life, if you really want real peace, well, that's going to remain out of reach for you. That's something you cannot possess until or unless you come to God. Augustine said it this way in the 4th century. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, in our hearts, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. See, he knew that. How bold we can be to know that as we share the gospel of life, as we tell people about Jesus Christ, it is latching on to the deepest desire that's in them. Whether they've tried to avoid it or not, it is there. It is never not there. And it gives you boldness to be able to witness because it's going to arc a spark one way or the other. They're either going to harden their hearts or they're going to come into faith. You see, it really was not, friends, please listen to this. It really was not the eloquence of Paul in that sermon that stirred the city. It was the attractive, soul-satisfying power of Jesus, the one for whom we have all been created. Do you know what that means? You don't need to have a very eloquent delivery. You don't need to be able to witness of Jesus in a way that's just spellbinding and narrative power. You don't need any of that. It is the power of Jesus that pulls what's so deep in every person to himself. Your job is to be the delivery system. That's what I am. That's what you are. You are the syringe that is plunging the gospel into their heart. And all your job is is to be faithful with it. Christian, you need to know that when you share the good news of Jesus, you are giving that person what their soul most wants, most yearns for. So be bold, be confident, be winsome. So the first response we see is an incredible interest from the whole city. But the second one is this. Some, when you witness, will oppose the gospel. They're going to oppose it. Look at verse 30, 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Contradict means to debate. 
And reviling means that they were angrily and bitterly insulting him. Have you ever been insulted because of what you're sharing about Jesus? See, what's motivating these enemies of the gospel was jealousy. Look at the text. For they saw the numbers of people, mostly Gentiles, who were excited and interested in the message of Jesus Christ. And they didn't care for Gentiles to get saved. But here's the rub. Paul reminded them that God had given a command to Israel. Verse 47, I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That was the purpose for Israel. Friends, I want you to hear something. Please listen closely. The exact same purpose is now for the church. He's made our church cornerstone to be a light to the world so that people could see Christ in us, that we would go out of here. Listen, the worship service is fantastic. I love it. I love our weekend worship services. But you know what? You know what's really important is that each one of us leave here and we go back to our neighborhoods. We go back to our jobs and our schools and our friends where there are people that are not saved. And we are speaking and we are sharing and we are witnessing the gospel knowing that we're the delivery system. Knowing and believing that in their deepest part of their hearts is a craving for a relationship with God. And we've got the solution. We've got the gospel of life. All we need to do is tell them. And sometimes they're going to say no. You see, when, when Paul told them, verse 47, look at the response. The Gentiles began cheering with joy. For they realized that they too could be forgiven of their sins. This is what their heart aches for. Saved and given the life their souls were craving. And many of them believed. But look what the enemies do. Verse 50, they incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. Stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Now, we're going to be encountering this over and over because wherever Paul goes, here comes the Jewish people, and they incite revolt. Why were they so successful? Here's why. You see, Antioch was a Roman colony, meaning that they were governed by veterans of the Roman army and legionnaires. All right, so they're a Roman colony. They've got a lot of freedom. They've got a lot of independence. All they've got to do is two things. You ready? Here they are. One, make sure that everybody pays the taxes to Rome. And number two, that you watch over and maintain the Pax Romana, which is Latin for peace of Rome. Anything that disrupts the peace of Rome, any reason the people aren't paying their taxes, the Roman military might will come thundering down on you, and he will, the Caesar will immediately depose the governor of Antioch, and the military will come around and make them punished or punish them. So whenever there's a revolt, wherever there's an uprising, they come down hard, the Roman governor of that city, will come down hard on you because if he doesn't bring it back to peace, the emperor will come down hard on him. See, all it took was a citywide disturbance and the provincial governor of Antioch would be swiftly removed. 
So the Jewish opponents, they know this. They stir up the religious women of influence. Why? Because they're going to stir up their powerful husbands and mobilize them to act. And they did. And they drove Paul and Barnabas out of Antioch. Now look at verse 51. What did Paul and Barnabas do? They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Pastor Matthew preached on this a couple years ago from Luke 10. Here's what Jesus said there. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, Paul and Barnabas, they take off their sandals and they shake off the dirt of that city and they're symbolizing that the Jews were guilty and that Paul and Barnabas, listen, will not take their rejection as their personal failure. Do you understand that? That's so important. That when somebody says no, you're witnessing, you're sharing the good news of the gospel, and they oppose you, and they might sever you from their relationship. They might say, I don't even want to be your friend. I don't even want to talk to you. I know people that their family hasn't talked to them for years when they turn to Christ. The moment that happens, you proverbially take off your sandals. You shake the dust off, meaning they are under God's judgment, and their rejection is not your failure. Don't you see why that's important? Otherwise, if you take that rejection, I, didn't, I wasn't a very good delivery system. I didn't say the right words. I wasn't able to explain it well enough. You're going to take this as failure, and you're going to be even hesitant, more hesitant the next time. It's not your failure. You have no power to make anybody get saved, and you're really not going to keep them from getting saved, even if you blunder the gospel message. It is about God, and you're going to see that next. Here's a third point. Some will believe the gospel. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Friends, when you share the good news of Jesus with people in your life, some will be interested They're going to want to hear more about it. They're going to be excited to spend time with you, wanting you to explain it. Other people are going to surely oppose it. They're going to reject it, sometimes vehemently, sometimes wanting nothing afterwards to do with you. But there are times, and they are so refreshing, that a spiritually lost person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Why? Because they were appointed to eternal life. Do you not know what that means? It means you can't save anybody. It means that God saves people. We are the delivery system, and we don't know who's appointed or not. It doesn't even matter. You faithfully share the gospel with every person you can, and those who are appointed to eternal life, God will regenerate. God will rebirth them. God will open their eyes. God will bring them to him. Why? Because he chose them, and he's going to bring them home to be with him. Do you know what confidence that can give you? 
Do you know how that gets your heart off the hook when they don't respond favorably? It gives you boldness. It gives you heroic courage, like John Patton, to be able to go to an island of cannibals and preach the gospel, and nobody respond. And he didn't give up, and four years later goes to the next island, and everybody responds. If I'm ever going to err with anything by overemphasizing it, it's going to be that God is absolutely sovereign, and I rejoice in that truth. God has chosen, verse 48, to save them. God appointed them. And when the gospel, the word of the Lord, was shared, they glorified it and believed, verse 48. So, friend, put your confidence in God's calling. Put it, put it in his appointing power. Rather than your ability to witness flawlessly, God is absolutely sovereign. God is able to open blind eyes. God can unplug deaf ears, and he can save who he wants. And though they were driven out, look at verse 52, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How amazing, friends, listen, don't, don't overlook what I'm about to tell you. How amazing that even while they're persecuted and driven out of the city, they're filled with joy. And really, you need to understand, it's because they were persecuted for Jesus that they were filled with joy. It's not just some abstract, mystical emotion that came into their hearts. Listen, when you are persecuted for Jesus and you are in step with the Spirit, that very persecution will fill you with joy. You will have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. Why? Because you're filled with the Spirit and nothing on this earth will ever dampen that. All right, so I'm, I'm done with the exposition. Now comes the application. Now here's what I've done so far. I prepared you for this by asking you if God puts his finger in an area of your life, by faith, you will respond in obedience. That's how it gets to your heart and becomes transformative. And then I've exposited verses 42 through 52. Now is application. What do you do with this sermon? I'm going to give you three very brief, they will be brief, points. And suggestions. And the first one, friends, it is thunderously important. Is it possible, please, please listen. Is it possible that you yourself have been in church and religious and know the Bible and yet remain unsaved? The synagogue was full of people that were religious. They knew the word of God better than I know it. And they were not believers. They're preaching in a Jewish synagogue to religious people. They knew the Bible. Those very people rejected Jesus. They judged, the text says, themselves unworthy of eternal life. Have you ever heard of John Wesley? John Wesley, who traveled from England to America in the 1800s to preach, but then later realized while he was preaching among the, the, the colonists that he's not even a believer. 
He later came to faith when he heard Martin Luther's introduction being read. The introduction to the book of Romans was being read out loud. And John Wesley heard it, and he came to faith just from the introduction to the book of Romans from Martin Luther. So I think the question is valid if you would allow it to be settling deep in your heart. Are you a churchgoer and a religious person who is not saved? I am going to tell you my greatest fear as a pastor is to preach to you week after week after week until one day find out you never knew Jesus. There is no fear in my heart greater than that one. Second application, are you able to explain the gospel message to a spiritually lost person? If your soul and if my soul is not gripped by the infinite love of God for us and horrified by the seriousness of sin and our defiance and our rebellion against that loving God, then we will never be good and effective witnesses of Jesus. You want to know how to witness effectively? You walk closely with the Lord and be filled with the Spirit. That's when you will see fruit. Are you stunned by the undeserved grace of God that's been displayed in the willing death of Jesus to take away your sins? Are you persuaded that he rose from the grave and that he lives in you by the Spirit of God and he's conforming you to become like him? Is there in your life every day a bedrock conviction that God has given you a life worth living for his glory and his honor. Listen, effective witnessing comes from a heart that is utterly persuaded by the gospel. Doesn't that just make sense? Imagine selling a product that you know is inferior. But now imagine selling one that you personally have been impacted by. Of which one will you be more persuasive? See, it's more than a class on how to witness that we need. We need our hearts to be fully convinced. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for his glory alone. And when that lives in your heart, friends, you will be effective and you will be fruitful in your witnessing of Jesus. Third and final. Am I prepared for opposition when I witness? Am I ready to lose my job? Am I ready? Will I handle if people turn away from me and do not want to be in a friendship with me anymore? If I should receive persecution, is there a boldness in my heart to tell of Jesus? Is your heart filled with the confidence of John Patton, who said to the cannibals threatening him, I'm quoting him from his biography, I assured them that I was not afraid to die. For at death my Savior would take me to be with himself in heaven and to be far happier than I had ever been on earth. In Jesus I felt invulnerable and immortal so long as I was doing his work. I then lifted up my hands and my eyes to the heavens and I prayed aloud for Jesus. Either protect me or take me home to glory, whatever you see fit to be best. Do you have that boldness? 
Why wouldn't you? You can have it. Because God is faithful to us, friends. So let us be faithful to Jesus Christ and boldly witness of him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for a really difficult and hard-hitting sermon. But, Lord, we need it. And if you are putting your finger in any area of my own life or any area of the people here, Father, I pray that we would respond by faith and obedience. Lord, every person that gets saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for your glory alone. There is no eloquent, there is no prepackaged delivery that can save anybody. It is your power alone. But Lord, you use us. But you will not use us if we are not faithful to witness. So Father, I pray that we would be faithful. And even starting today, that we would tell people and be bold, knowing that we are giving them the gospel of life that their soul aches for. We would tell people about Jesus, that he died, was buried, and he was risen to life, and he gives life freely to anyone who comes to him by faith. Lord, put that in our hearts and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.